The scripture reading today is from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 57 through 63. The time came for Elizabeth to have her baby. She gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very kind to her. They shared her joy. On the seventh day, they came to have the child circumcised. They were going to name him Zechariah, like his father. But his mother spoke up. No, she said, he must be called John. They said to her, no one among your relatives has that name. Then they motioned to his father. They wanted to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for something to write on. Then he wrote, his name is John. Everyone was amazed. Thanks be to God. For blessing. And so at this time, I invite you for to have a moment of reflection. Verse 64. Immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue freed. And he began to speak, praising God. Fear came over all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about throughout the entire hill country of Judea. All who heard them pondered them and said, What then will this child become? For indeed, the hand of the Lord was with him. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our ancestor Abraham, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly to Israel. Here ends the reading for this Sunday. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's the fourth Sunday in our Advent season. Zechariah has been quiet for quite some time, not by choice, but by force. And finally he finds his voice. And so I ask if we would all, as we continue in worship... Take a moment, take a breath, feel God's spirit within us, and the Holy Spirit came upon him and he spoke. And then let's listen together to what God might tell us this morning. Would you pray with me? God, open our ears that we would listen and that we would hear and that we would understand. And when you are ready and we are ready, open our mouths that we might speak that our speech might heal all that is broken and torn apart. 
We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we are going to continue with the story that we started a few weeks ago from Zachariah and Elizabeth. Now, if you were not here a few weeks ago, then I will get you acclimated to where we are in the story. If you have a Bible, you should turn to Luke chapter 1. Uh, so Luke's gospel is the third book in the New Testament. It's probably somewhere like, in, you know, seven-eighths through your Bible. Uh, and chapter 1 is 155 verses, it feels. It's uh, 80. Luke's gospel starts with the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Zachariah and Elizabeth, if you remember, they were older and they had never had any children and they really wanted to have children. This first slide, standing in the house of memories and forgetting everything, that's from the first Sunday of Advent where we talk about Zachariah as a priest. Zachariah is in the temple offering up the incense offering and he's praying. He's supposed to be praying for all of Israel. And then the angel Gabriel shows up. Gabriel has been quite busy this Advent season, kind of popping around from story to story to story. And so Gabriel shows up and tells him that God has heard his prayers and that they're going to have a baby. Jump to the point. Zachariah does not buy it, doesn't believe it. We talked about how foolish this is because, well, God has done this kind of thing before. In fact, he's done this kind of thing a lot of times where it takes couples who are unable to birth the future and gives them a future, gives them a child. Even in old age, that's not really an impediment. Uh, we were sitting on Thursday in our, we have a little uh, Bible study on Thursdays at noon. You're all invited. Uh, it's in the chapel. And we go over the scripture for the next Sunday. And in that group is, uh, there are a couple of folks with us who are, um, who are quite older. And we was looking at Evelyn and Hank. And I said, Evelyn, what would it feel like? If you showed up here and you told me that you were going to have a baby and everyone got really uncomfortable in the room <laughs> because that would be crazy. It would feel and her eyes got real big and Hank looked at her like, what's happening here? That is Zachariah and Elizabeth. This is out of the ordinary. And so Zachariah balks and he says, like, I don't buy it. How is this going to happen? And Gabriel says, fine. It's going to happen because everything is possible with God, but you won't get to say anything about it. You will be mute. Quiet. Because you haven't been listening enough. So then Gabriel goes and talks to Mary, and then Mary becomes pregnant, and then Mary and Elizabeth have a conversation, and they get it. And their babies and their wombs get it. And then Mary sings her song. Zachariah could have sung his song first, but he wasn't ready. So he falls silent. Zachariah has forgotten so much. And forgetting and remembering is part of what I want to talk to you about today. As we get to this song. The Old Testament is full of songs. So if, you, uh, if you're used to looking at your Bible and you care about literature and genre, you will notice that in the Old Testament especially, there are large chunks of prose. Then there are a lot of chunks of poetry. The way you know if you're in poetry, if you're reading in English, is it looks like it's set off in stanzas, like weird line breaks. Go look at the book of Psalms. It's an entire book of poetry. Most of the prophets are poetry. At each like kind of big event in Israel's history, there is a poem and a song that will celebrate this transition or this passage. Songs are all through the Old Testament and the Hebrew Scriptures. And that's partly because those Scriptures are very ancient. And over a long time, they are put together. Songs 
become the way that communities remember big moments. And then that narrative gets compressed in meaning. They help with memory as well. I know this because I know every Garth Brooks song. And as soon as they come on the radio, whether I want to know that song or not, I can sing like I've Got Friends or The Thunder Rolls or the you know what I'm talking about. They just stick with you. If you've got satellite radio, you know those stations that go like 70s, 80s, 90s, the early aughts, all of those songs from our childhood, and we can sing them as though we heard them yesterday. The New Testament is different, though. The New Testament is prose everywhere. This is the way that one author talks about these songs of Advent, that it's poetry surrounded by a sea of prose. When the text uh, is, is this predictable, like the New Testament, narrative after narrative after narrative, when you were handed a song, when you were handed a bit of poetry, it is like a flashing light. It is something new. And everybody should pay close attention to what's being said here. And that's what Zechariah gives us. It's what Mary gave us, is this song. Partly because Zechariah is finally remembering the big story that God has been telling and gives it back to the people in a way that they can carry it with them. Israel has forgotten a lot. When we think about sin, we could think about it as that which makes us forget who we really are and who God really is. And in that forgetting, this distance grows. Friday, Stephanie, Chris, would you raise your hands? Kind of right in the middle here. On Friday, y'all got married. And everybody said... And you made a bunch of promises and we talked about all these promises and vows. And there is going to come a point in time in the next like year, five, ten or twenty years where you're going to forget some of what you said. Right. And, and, and the remembering of those promises is part of what will rebind you to them. That's what this kind of heavy language does. And forgetting everything that happened on Friday and everything you intend about your life could potentially be well, problematic. Right, But I heard it. As long as you're sitting there, I'll remind you. We need people to remind us of these things. Uh, and Israel had forgotten. They were living in this space and time where everything was pushing in on them. And the prophets hadn't talked to them for quite a long time. And they were starting to forget their songs. That's what happens in the midst of suffering and pain. For instance, when Israel is exiled into Babylon, centuries earlier than Jesus... The poets at the time say, like, how can we sing our songs in this land? The danger of exile is that they might forget who they are and forget who God is. And that becomes the consequences of their falling away, of their broken behavior and broken lives. This forgetting. came across this idea of what is forgotten and what helps us remember uh, several years ago when I came across a documentary about uh, music and memory. I'll tell you the story. So, uh, and then maybe I'll send out a video of this story because it's really, really great. Uh, so what they've found is in folks who are having um, like dementia or Alzheimer's, they can't retain the memory of who they are, their own stories of their own people. Uh, They've found 
that somewhere like deep, deep in the recesses of their hearts and souls and minds is still them, who they are, their true deep identity. But it's, it's got all of these layers of blockage. And so they feel very distant. If you know somebody, if you have someone in your life who is suffering with memory loss, like you know just how painful this is to be in the space with them and for them to feel so far away. Uh, but what they've found is that we remember music like deeper than we realize. And so they've brought in these like MP3 players, these iPods into nursing homes and assisted care units and have given folks the music from their childhood. So they'll ask family like, okay, so who did, for instance, there's a guy named Henry. And they ask the family, what was Henry's music as he was growing up? Uh, and it was Motown and it was soul and it was blues and it was Cab Calloway. And uh, so they show a video of Henry and he's sitting in a wheelchair and he is uh, like completely doubled over. And his, his head is in his hands and when the church father Augustine talks about our condition in our distance from God, he talks about us being curved inward. And that God saving us is God straightening our backs so that we might look and see the world as it really is. Because at some point, everything that happens to us, it kind of, right, it bends and twists and deforms. And so that was Henry, just totally in here. And uh, not able to communicate with his family when they would come visit him, uh, not speaking at all. And they take these earphones and they put them on his ears. And it is immediate that his head lifts and his eyes get huge and he starts to rock and then he starts the beat and then he starts to sing with the music and he's back. They take the earphones off and they realize that this remembering has a residual effect. And so they start to talk to Henry. Ask who he is. Henry, do you know who we are? I do. Do you know your family's here? Oh, hey, he is here with them. Start to ask him what his favorite music is. And he starts to sing for them. I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. And it lasts for quite a while. And he starts to forget again. Fall back into his mind and into the fog. And they'll give him the music back and it'll wake him back up. That's what music can do. When these New Testament writers give us these songs, they're giving us the big story, asking us to remember. And and Zechariah says very specifically, like, if you can't remember, God has remembered. This is what Zechariah says over and over again. You kept your promises. You know your covenant. You remember as you see us, know us. There is no distance between God and us, even if we feel so far away. The folks who made this documentary, here is what they say their goal is. Helping people remember who they are. This language of waking up is near and dear to us as we think about the Jesus story. Waking up to our true identities, to who God has truly made us to be. It is in our forgetting that we drift away. 
that we name ourselves as other things than our true identity. When Zachariah sings his song, this is what it sounds like. He isn't saying a brand new thing. You can feel him calling back the old tradition. If you know your Bible well and you hear this song, you can hear it. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and he has redeemed them. That's Exodus. He has raised up a mighty savior for us in the house of his servant David. That's Samuel and the prophets. He spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of of old. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the rest. To be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Shown mercy, promised to our ancestors, and remembered his holy covenant. You're at Sinai again. The oath he swore to our ancestor Abraham, that's Genesis 12, to grant us that we being rescued from the hands of our enemy might serve him without fear. That's Exodus 14, all the way up to Sinai. In holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you'll be called the prophet of the most high. That's Elijah. You'll be go, for, go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. He knew the story. He had just forgotten the story. It took a lot of shutting up and listening and of silence for him to be reminded. Nine months of him sitting there watching all of the promises come to fulfillment in his very home. And then at some point, it's time to name the child. And they ask, what's his name supposed to be? And then uh, his precocious spouse Speaks up quickly, probably out of turn. His name's going to be John, and all the people are like, would you please tell your woman to, right? That's the way that the text sounds. What would you like the child to be named, Zachariah? Zachariah can't speak, remember? And it seems as though he can't hear because it says that they're signing to him. And he takes a tablet and he writes his name is John, which is surprising because no one in the family is named John. And this is the point when Zachariah gets to pass on his name, but no. He's been given instructions and he writes it and it says at that moment, immediately, his mouth is open, his tongue is free, and he blesses God. This language of immediacy, let's stay here for a second. It's this word, parakrima, in the Greek. What it means is to bring near whatever is necessary or needed in that moment. In fact, if you follow this word through Luke's gospel, every other time it shows up is at a moment of healing. This is a miracle language right here. Just being able to speak, to profess, is miraculous for Zechariah. And immediately, his mouth is open and he finds his words. And the first thing that he does is he blesses God. Very first thing. And so as we finish out Advent today, move toward 2019, we're going to stay on blessing. There is a, uh, there's this really unfun theological concept that we learn about in seminary and then wish to forget about forever after that, uh, called original sin. Who knows about original sin? Who's heard of original sin? 
And does it make us, it, it makes you feel really good inside, doesn't it? To think about original sin. Because <laughs> original sin says that the way you are at your core, your like foundational story is broken, right? It's not a very fun concept. And in fact, it's not exactly in the Bible. It comes from an early church father who's quite obsessed with sins of the flesh. And so begin to talk about original and beginning with what was wrong with us, what's broken. But, and I say this all the time, and every time I say it, I get surprised that, that we have to have this conversation because we are, like, this is our guiding document, the, the scriptures, the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, and it's not hard to find the beginning of it. It's like the first couple of pages. And so if you're looking for original sin, we would just read Genesis 1-1 and start and figure out what, what did God actually say first? What is our original condition? God doesn't make things by accident. It's not like God forgot to put some mark or stroke or some, right? God creates with intention. So beginning primarily is not sin. Not this language. But it's this. You know this. Just go back and read the story. The first bit of blessing is when humanity is created and God blessed them. He wrote his Barach. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Again in chapter 2. God finishes and completes the work that was to be done and rests on the seventh day. And so God blesses that day and makes it kadosh, makes it holy, gives it weight and meaning. God's intended purpose for this world is blessing. Now, each time we come to the beginning of a story and the Bible starts at beginnings over and over again, you get this language of blessing. You get it again when the flood happens. The flood is kind of this wiping over and starting over. And it's this, all of this creation language gets ushered. And it says after the flood subsides that God blesses Noah and his family and that they are given the instruction to fill and to multiply, to flourish, to have a future. You get another beginning in Genesis 12. When the story of the scripture zooms in on one family. So we've had this big story from Genesis 1 through 11 of all the peoples on the earth and these origin stories and the flood and the Tower of Babel. And then the story goes microscopic to Abram and Sarah. And God calls them and says that they're going to go and there's going to be this new thing that happens, this new nation, this new people. And the first thing that God does is blesses them. And not just blesses them, blesses them for a purpose says that they're going to be a blessing. This is new. And that the entire creation, the whole world, will be blessed through them. Genesis 12. There is a blessing that we share every Sunday. It's right in the middle of Torah, in the book of Numbers, called the Aaronic Blessing. And it is blessing made beautiful It's three words, five words, seven words, all these prime numbers, this kind of completeness and unity. It's the blessing that we share every Sunday 
from this space. My favorite part of my job. Moses was spoken to by God. And God said to him, speak to Aaron and his son. Speak to all the priests saying, thus you shall bless the Israelites. You shall say to them. You know the language? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is the priestly blessing. It sits at the center of Israel's life. And it's to be said over and over and over again. I love this line from Luther. When he kept preaching the same thing over and over again, that God has grace for us, has forgiveness for us. That this isn't a thing that you have to earn. At some point, a parishioner comes up after church, as parishioners are wont to do, and talks to the preacher and says, can we have some new stuff? You've been preaching on the same thing every week, Luther. It'd be like someone told me, we're done with Exodus. We got it. We know what's happening in the book of Exodus. And Luther says to him, says, uh, well, the reason, beloved, that I say this week after week is because week after week you forget. And that's the language of blessing. We end our services with it because we forget it so easily that God intends for us blessing. Be honest. Can you imagine that bearded God in the sky looking down? More often than not, we feel like we are judged or condemned. That everything that comes up short is the first thing that is seen and spoken. It's the reason why we enter conversations hedging and defending ourselves all of the time. As soon as we meet somebody, I don't normally look like this. My office is never this dirty, right? You know the drill. That's the same thing, because we assume that everyone and everything is here to know what is wrong with us. And we project that onto God and onto the sacred and assume that that is the way the universe is disposed toward us. So the Bible is very clear that blessing is to be at all of our beginnings. And in all of those moments of remembering, of pulling the parts of our story, the best of our story, the point of our story forward will remind us of that primal blessing. It's the reason when Jesus preaches a sermon in Matthew 5, the first thing that Jesus says is blessed are those who over and over again, known as the Beatitudes, Jesus is reminding us. Most of what we do in church is remind one another of who we are. One of the things we do here is uh, one of the last ones we did was with Andres. Uh, Zach and Saskia are here with us. And Andres, how old now? Three and a half. Three and a half. Uh, but we got to do his family dedication and his baby dedication, what, like nine months ago or so, which was beautiful. And in that moment, we get to bless him. We get to bless our children. Whenever I go to hospitals to meet babies for the first time or Pastor Lindsay, when we get to do this, what we carry with us is blessing. It's like the first thing I want to say. And we bring the kids up here with their family. We put our hands on them and we say this priestly blessing because this is the first and most true thing about them, that God blesses them, sees them, and is for them. If there is a way to wake up and open your eyes and take your breath and feel the Lord bless you and keep you, 
Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his smile upon you and give you peace as the beginning. And then as you go to bed and you close your eyes and you lay down in what is often like a little death. And the last thing is the feeling of this blessing would change things. It would change who you are and how you are in the world. Whenever there are folks in our congregation, there are folks in my life who are close to death, you can start to sense these things. Uh, I try to get there as often as I can, and I try to say this blessing over them each time I leave, because maybe the last time I get to see them. The last thing I want to say is this deep truth, the first thing that they might have heard, and hopefully the last thing that they hear. Years ago, I was called by a family who uh, had a son who was about 19 or 20, and uh, he had been in a really bad motorcycle accident, and they were at the ER together. And again, you get to ER and you can read things really quickly, and you just know, like, this is not going to end well. Um, and so talking to doctors, and finally, uh, the son died uh, from really bad internal injuries, and... Uh, so I got to go back there with the dad and say the blessing. He's laying there. Dad doesn't have any words. And in these moments, you're thankful that you don't have to make this stuff up, but that it has been given to us to place a hand on his body. Say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the words are heavy and pregnant with meaning. And they matter because in that moment, everything matters. As pastors, priests, and then as children of God, as Christians here, we are given this task of blessing. It's part of Zachariah's failure early in the story. And his ability to find his voice is the ability to bless both God and what God is doing in the world. And so we are invited into these moments of transition, these thresholds. We mine those gaps together. If you have a child, that child is between the ages of like 12 and 25, and everything is happening, and everything is changing, and they are becoming an adult, the best thing that you can do is to bless them over and over again. As they are losing themselves, right? So that they might find themselves again. The best thing that we could do for Chris and Stephanie on Friday was bless them in their coming together, in the beginning of this family, this threshold of becoming. And the entire congregation there and the friends and family here bless you. Intend for you what God intends for you. There are some of us here who have forgotten who we are. And each time I raise my hands and ask you to stand and say the blessing, 
you put your hands in your pocket and you turn the other way or you grab your phone and distract yourself because you don't believe it. But it's still true. About a week ago, I was invited uh, to participate in a homeless memorial service with All Saints Church across the street. Uh, each year for the last eight years or so, they'll do a service in, in Advent for folks who've died on the streets and maybe been in, unable to be remembered well in a funeral or memorial service. And so they have a service there. And I just had shown up to do like a quick reading because I have never been to one of these things before. It was a foreign concept altogether. So I show up and I'm standing there talking to the, to the uh, rector and to the priests around me. And then someone says, the healer is sick, which seems ironic that the healer would get sick. But they had, somebody was supposed to be there for the healing part of the service. And that person turned out the prayers weren't working so well for them. So they couldn't make it. And they look around and Mike, who's the rector at All Saints, looks at me and says, John Jay, can you, can you do the healing? And I think, I don't know, I paid a lot of money at seminary. Like, let's see what it got me. <laughs> and, uh, I've just, I have like a standing rule in ministry that if I'm asked to do something I've never done, the answer is always yes. Because you're going to learn something. But also I knew that in these kind of moments, people are feeling a lot of things. And I wanted to be there at that threshold, at that vulnerability. So yes, absolutely. Uh, and it was, y'all. So the, the church is a cruciform church, kind of like ours. So the arms right here, the cross, right, you can feel it. It's a deeper cruciform. So they had me over in a corner in front of a, uh, behind a kneeling bench. And I was wearing a cassock, which is like a white uh, vestment or a robe with a uh, rope tied around it like a belt. This is what you might see if you were an Episcopal church, for instance, or a Catholic church. And uh, a stole, which is this colorful, uh, beautiful sash or ribbon. Uh, so I looked like a priest. I'm wearing a coat today, so I look like a Baptist preacher. But we don't wear, we don't wear cassocks. Uh, but they, but it was, it's a little bit like doctors in their white coats. You just know who the person is who might know what's wrong with you and might be able to help. And, uh, so I'm standing behind the kneeler and then this line starts forming. And over and over again, people are open. They are present to their pain and so this glimmer of hope, and they stand before me and they tell me their story, and I get to put my hand on their shoulder or hold their hand and bless them. Over and over again. It is, it is the best life. Bless you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I didn't do it yet. I didn't, I didn't count. I have to intend it. It's not magic. <laughs> I need it. Yeah. So this is where I get to stand so much of my life. When people ask me what my life is like, it's, it's this space I occupy. And the reason I love to do it in a church like ours is I occupy this space with and for you to invite you into it. So if at any point it starts to feel like John Jay's got it covered, John Jay can do all the blessings, or maybe Lindsay can, we can dual tag team it. We got it all, right? That's not how it works here. That's not how it works in our big story, the one we inherited from Judaism. It is a nation and kingdom of priests, one to another. And we all get good at this together. We work these muscles out. So when we encounter one another, we can speak deep truth to one another. In case someone calls in sick and they're supposed to be the healer, we're all ready to go.
in Jesus's story, the way Luke tells it, the first things that get said are this language of blessing. When Zechariah finally speaks the words of faith, it's a miracle that he even finds them. He blesses the Lord. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. In the last words that are spoken. Luke 24. He led them out as far as Bethany. Lifting up his hands. Jesus has been killed. The story has fallen to pieces. And then in every way that we are surprised by Sunday in an empty tomb, they are shocked to their core and Jesus is with them again, preparing them to go and do, to go and be like Christ. Move through the world, bringing it back to life. And he's standing there with them as he's ready to depart from them and hand them over this calling and vocation lifts his hand and blesses them. And while he's blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. By the way, if that happened when I started blessing it to benediction, I feel like you might believe it a little bit more. <laughs> so Jesus is blessing them and is lifted up into heaven and they worshiped him and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they were continually in the temple blessing God. That's where this story got started. When Zechariah finds his Speech blesses God. And whatever happens to those folks who spend all their time with Jesus, when it is their story to tell, they are continually in the presence of God, blessing their creator. If there is anything that you hear this Advent season, or each Sunday when you come here, It is that God's intention for you is blessing. And not blessing like you're going to get the car you wanted and the house you wanted and all the money you need to feel peaceful and happy. That's blessing as the world blesses. It is that you will have peace. It is that you will be whole. All those parts of your life that are out of joint everything that you have broken, that God might put it back together. And the knowledge of that, of the forgiveness of sin, is gratitude and the returned blessing to God. This is our sacred call. I have no fancy ending for you today. It is a very clear and present vocation that we have been given that we would be a kingdom of priests one to another and to this world to bless it, to help it to remember who it really is. Is anyone with me? Who would like to join this life, this vocation? I'm actually asking. Who would want to bless the world in the way that they have been blessed by God? Who is here for that? You can actually raise your hands. Because when we bless, we actually raise our hands. And if you are not there, it is okay. We'll find you. And we will bless you until you believe it. Won't we? 
Friends, God is for you. God is with you. And there's nothing to be afraid of. And there's nothing left to do because God has done it all. And so we open our hearts and we open our hands and we receive the deep truths of this story that God has been telling all along. May you be blessed in your arriving and in your departing, in your waking and in your sleeping, in your doubts and in your trust. May you be blessed when things are falling apart and when everything is working out. May you be blessed when you enter into this space and may you be filled with such grace that you leave here singing and shouting full of great joy. This is who you are. And thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Bless you, God. In boldness and insanity, I claim with this family of faith blessings for you and to you, for all that you have done. God, blessings in this space today because we have welcomed back friends like Lynn and Elwood. Folks who have been ill and been away from us. That distance has been closed even for a Sunday. And it is good to be with family. God, we bless you because you have saved us. From the patterns of death in this world that would like to trap us. God, we feel our brother Christ, who's a walking, talking, hugging, drinking, partying, blessing, benediction with hands and feet. And God, we ask that you would prepare us to go and be likewise, that we would become benedictions and blessings. For those near to us and those far away. It is our hope and it is our trust that you are with us. And in this truth, there is nothing left to fear. So we take your peace today with great joy. Amen. Amen.